Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host. It is Friday, August the 28th, 2020. Uh, My goodness, the summer is just about gone. Uh, Labor Day rushing at its full speed. Hopefully, uh, you will have a job or have a job. Um, And, you know, we're living in a crazy world, but I thank you so much for joining me. COVID and the elections and the riots, um, we're truly living in historic times. Uh, people will be remembering uh, this era, if you want to call it that, for a long time to come. But, of course, only only if it's properly reported upon. Uh, you know, there's a famous uh, question. Uh, if the tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? Perhaps a more important question is if the tree falls in the forest but nobody is willing to report about it, does anybody know the tree fell in the first place? COVID has uh, knocked the wind out of our sails, has sickened so many, killed so many, uh, a gigantic tragedy perpetrated on the world by the communist totalitarian dictatorship of the People's Republic of China, period, full stop, full stop. Whether it was released initially by design or by accident, we may never know because communist countries tightly, tightly strangulate any word that escapes about anything of consequence. It's remarkable to me that there are Americans living in a free society who want to shut down free speech because they don't understand that they're playing with fire. They might think that they're the ones marching in the streets and they're lodging in charge, and these are probably people that did not have good parents that probably are resisting any authority figure because they hated their initial authority figures that should have been in their lives, their parents. But what they don't understand is that just as quickly as they're running in the streets freely, they could easily lose control and have someone else do to them what they've been doing to everybody else. I was at war with my bosses when I became a whistleblower, when I testified before Congress against the desires of the then commissioner of the Immigration and Naturalization Service. Uh, I took on management, and it went all the way to headquarters, but I realized someone had to stand up. I made my mother a promise when she told me about the Holocaust that if I ever saw things going in the wrong direction, that I would stand up and do whatever it was that needed to be done. Uh, And I remember my dad's great words of wisdom when he said to me, it's easy to spot a real man. He's the guy with the chutzpah, with the moral integrity to stand up when it counts. And I remember having a fight with one of my bosses. And I said to him, you know, you've got that stick in your hand and you're whacking me over the head with it. But at some point, someone's going to take that stick from you. And the handle that you've been holding on to is going to be the same handle that cracks your skull. Look out for the day when it comes. 
didn't take a couple of months when he himself found himself at odds with management and they came after him, great guns. And he came to me and he said, Mike, I need your lawyer's name and phone number. I said, are you having a problem? He said, yes. I said, how bad is the problem? And he told me about it. And I asked him for more details and he gave me more details. And then I smiled at him and I said, wow, I didn't know they could be that vicious or malicious with someone else. Congratulations. No, you can't have my lawyer's phone number, but I wanted the details because it gave me a vicarious thrill. Lessons to be learned. Freedom needs to apply equally to all or nobody is safe. I said that when I testified before Congress when a reporter made light of 9-11, called me up, wanted to know I could tell him how people could enter the country without detection. He said, do you think you could pull it off? I said, I might be able to. Why are you asking? He said, well, I thought it would make for an interesting story. And I asked this guy if he was an imbecile or a traitor. I said, so here we are just a year after 9-11. You're asking me how people could enter our country and possibly attack us again. He said, well, he said, look, he said, I know you're worked up about this, but he said, you know, my family lives in Ohio. And he said there was just a terrorist who wanted to blow up our mall, but that's different than coming after New York because those towers are many hundreds of miles from where I live. And he said, so I just thought this would be an interesting story to write. I used language that I won't share with you. Basically, I recommended that he attempt an anatomical impossibility, if you could envision what I just said to you. And I hung up on him. But it so infuriated me that a fellow American living just a few hundred miles away, and it didn't matter if they were living on the other side of the world, could say to me, well, New York is a big distance, but here's a mall where my family shops. Now it's getting serious. So I asked for a map to be drawn up of the United States that showed where all of the victims of 9-11 came from. And then chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, Jim Sensenbrenner, and chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, John Hostetler, accommodated me. They provided us with that map. It was posted in a prominent place. I, I believe it was posted actually under the rotundus that every member of Congress uh, would have to pass it. I wanted to provoke thought. I wanted to wake these idiots up. And when they told me about the map being prepared, I, I said at this hearing where I testified, where we introduced the map, I said, no American city is safe if no American city is attacked. No American is safe if any American has his freedom of speech denied to him or her. It's very simple. Freedom of speech is at the foundation of democracy. No freedom of speech, no freedom at all. And think of the level of intimidation. And what really disturbs me, we are coming up on the 19th anniversary of the terror attacks of 9-11, attacks that took over 3,000 lives. Uh, how many more have since died and people are still suffering and dying because of the toxins they were exposed to? We lost more people on 9-11 than we lost in the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. But what is so remarkable is that this election, I want you to think about this, folks, is going to be the very first election where people old enough to vote were born after the terror attacks of 
They certainly aren't being taught about it. Think about that congresswoman who described 9-11 as when some people did something. Some people did something. Wow. You know, I testified at a hearing in March of 2002 about how two dead terrorists, Mohammed Atta and Malwin al-Shehi, two terrorists, in fact, were at the cockpits of the two planes that slammed into the two towers of the World Trade Center. And six months to the day after 9-11, to the horror of everyone, it was found out that they had just been granted authorization to attend flight school. Flight school. Think about it. Flight school. Two terrorists who had gotten flight training so they could slam airliners like cruise missiles with passengers on board into two of the most magnificent buildings in the lower Manhattan skyline. And because of the ineptitude of the agency, of the computer company that they hired, but I hold the agency responsible and accountable. I hold our government responsible and accountable. I hold our alleged leaders responsible and accountable. They were granted authorization to go to flight school. They found out about it as I was pulling into my driveway just having had an argument with Anthony Weenie. You remember him, the guy that was texting naked pictures of himself to an underage girl, the paradigm of dignity, decorum, and morality. My gosh. Chuck Schumer protege. Chuck Schumer, another hero. So I was pulling into my driveway when I got this phone call. It was from Sheila Jackson Lee's, her attorney her counsel, rather, the chief counsel for the House Immigration Subcommittee on the Democrat side of the aisle. They were the minority party, meaning that the Republicans uh, had the chairmanship. They had the majority in Congress. And uh, this gentleman, Leon Buck, called me up, and he said, Mr. Cutler, I'm chief counsel for the subcommittee. America needs you. In fact, he started out by saying, is this Mr. Cutler? And I said, yes, America needs you. This is on my cell phone. It was a dumb phone in those days, a little rubbery antenna, if you remember those things. Uh, no apps. Nobody knew what an app was. And I said, yes, I'm Mike Cutler. He said, your country needs you in Washington next week. Can you come? And I thought it was a, a goof phone call. I said, really, who is this? And then he explained his name and the fact that he was the counsel for the immigration the subcommittee on the Democrat side. And he said, do you know two dead terrorists just got permission to go to flight school? They almost slammed my car into the tree in front of my house. Needless to say, I testified at the hearing. It's part of the permanent record at C-SPAN. You should watch the hearing, folks. But I mention it now, and then we're going to move on to where we are today, because what's remarkable is for a number of years, if I met people, the topic turned to terrorism and immigration and all this other business, and I would say, do you remember when two dead terrorists got permission to go to flight school? And immediately people would say, oh, yes, I remember that. Wasn't that guy Mohammed Atta the ringleader? And he was one of the two. They didn't remember the other guy's name, but they remembered Atta because he was the ringleader. I said, well, I was one of the four witnesses called by the House Judiciary Committee to testify at a hearing that was convened to try to figure out how in the world we could be that incompetent and inept even after the terror attacks of 9-11. I mean, you need no further evidence of ineptitude and corruption by our own government to look at what George W. Bush did when he created the Department of Homeland Surrender and created such a disastrous agency that, in the words of Hostetler, a Republican and the chairman of the subcommittee created immigration incoherence and made it impossible to secure the borders and force the laws or, or protect Americans, even after it was clearly determined that the attacks probably couldn't have been possible without multiple failures of the immigration system. It's both sides of the aisle that have done this to us. If you wonder why Donald Trump is getting hammered from every direction, it's because he's the first president to stand up for Americans in decades, maybe since Eisenhower. 
We have been overtaken by politicians who are taking bribes, their campaign contributions. That's the euphemism for a bribe, money to alter how they would vote on bills or propose legislation because it's not doing what's in the best interest of the average American or America, but in people who are literally and figuratively making out like bandits. Over time, though, when I would mention the hearing, younger people would look at me and say, gee, did that happen? Some older people would say, gee, I don't remember. Well, that that could be Joe Biden, actually, when you think about it. But increasingly, you meet people in their 20s and so forth. Gee, I didn't know anything about that. I was very young when it happened. Do you know about Pearl Harbor? Oh, absolutely. It was a Sunday, and the Japanese fleet came in, and they bombed the ships, and they... And they tell me in detail. They say, well, what happened on 9-11? Almost what that despicable congresswoman said, some people did something. There was some kind of a terror attack. I don't know, airplanes into buildings. Something happened. But ask them about Pearl Harbor, and they will tell you in detail. And I say, why is it you know about Pearl Harbor? Well, my teacher made sure that we studied it. We spent a week on Pearl Harbor and the Japanese attack. They said, you know, the Japanese are... Our allies now, in fact, they got an award from the Japanese government, but the war on terror is continuing, and you don't know much about it. Nope, they were from Arab countries, and I don't know, the president is trying to keep Arabs out of the country where we are. I'm going to have more to say as 9-11 approaches, but I want you to understand what has been happening. There are people who have an agenda, and the agenda is globalism, and the agenda is to take down America. And I talked about the article that I found, or the, or the, the um, speech that I found that President John F. Kennedy gave before a joint session of Congress back on May 25, 1961, about the threats posed by insurgents in emerging democracies. In point of fact, the tactics of those insurgents have been adopted by the rioters across America, and we're witnessing it today. And this is the topic of an article that I wrote for Front Page Magazine. So I'm going to give you guys a homework assignment over the weekend. Over the weekend, and I provided the link. If you go to my radio show, there's a link. You can click on it. But I want you to read the article, and I want you to forward it to every single person you know. There's a lot of Democrats And I'm a registered Democrat, by the way. Full disclosure, the Democrat Party is no longer the Democrat Party. Therein lies the big problem. But when you looked at what George W. Bush did, creating this hodgepodge of agencies to paralyze immigration enforcement after 9-11, and then people say, oh, he's a neocon. Oh, he's just, you know, he wasn't the mainstream republic. He was the president of the United States. Paul Ryan, John, I used to call him John Boner, John Boehner, all cut from the same globalist cloth, made in Japan or China more properly, made in China. Um, They don't want immigration enforcement. That's why the Republicans didn't vote for the border wall. That's why the Republicans never give President Trump what he needs to enforce the immigration laws. The all clear hasn't sounded. Doesn't matter. The war on terror continues. But the article that I wrote for Front Page Magazine, this is the title. Radical Democrats have become adversaries of freedom, in quotes, because that was the expression used by the late John F. Kennedy 
in his speech. And I want you to read it carefully, and you can even listen to it, because there's, if you go to the link that I included in my article, you can also click on a link within that link where you could listen to the actual recording of President Kennedy standing before an unusual joint session of Congress, explain what he wanted to protect emerging democracies, people seeking freedom around the world. And he even talked about the threats being posed within our hemisphere by China and Russia. China and Russia, more than 59 years ago. That speech was delivered, to put it in context, 20 days after Alan Shepard became the first American to fly in space for all the 15 minutes in his Mercury space capsule, Freedom 7. I actually got a letter from astronaut Shepard when I was a kid, and boy, oh boy, the kids in my school went nuts. Uh, they, they announced it at an auditorium assembly, and a few months later I got another letter, and that one from astronaut Gus Grissom. True heroes. Not the make-believe heroes that, that play games on the field and get paid gazillions of dollars and run around kneeling. Uh, look, I'm all for freedom of expression. And has America made mistakes? Absolutely. But to hold an entire country responsible today for terrible acts that happened 200 years ago, 150 years ago, and earlier, slavery is done. We've ended segregation. And the idiots now want to reimpose segregation for reasons I can't begin to fathom. Um, we're living in a dangerous era. But the reason that I want to have as many people as possible read my article is I want you to understand the tactics that we are witnessing. And there's no wonder in my mind why the Democrats um, have been very reluctant to speak out against it, because the Democrats, in my view, want exactly what's happening. This is their strategy. They of the Democrat Party have come to call law enforcement officers, and I'm proud to have carried a badge for 30 years, but they call law enforcement the stormtroopers, immigration in particularly vilified. The real stormtroopers were in full view last night after that incredible speech by President Trump. They attacked Rand Paul, whether you like the senator, you don't like him, I don't care. He's a senator and he's a human being. And if it wasn't for the police escort, God only knows where that may have led. These are violent thugs. I'm sure they're part of a rental mob. They're paid to come out and riot and damage and protest and destroy communities. New York isn't going to be the same for quite some time. And we have an imbecile for a mayor, treacherous imbecile, de Blasio. Cuomo is, is liable to get, as one of my bosses used to say, his comeuppance, because you may not realize this. But the Justice Department, by the way, and this is kind of interesting, and I, and I contacted a woman whose husband was in a nursing home with Alzheimer's and died, uh, she believes, of, uh, of COVID. But understand the thousands of people who died of COVID. And what's so remarkable was Cuomo and the folks on the West Coast were commending the president. Whatever we asked for, he gave us. He gave us everything gave us everything we, we needed ventilators and we needed ppe and we needed uh, he gave it to us they converted the jacob javits uh, convention center into the biggest hospital in the united states the trump administration did it and so they were thanking him great we got everything we want and within weeks they turned it around and said he didn't help us and all these people died because of him and now biden 
and, and Chameleon Harris. She is a chameleon. Oh, the president failed to protect Americans. So think of what he did. He was the first one to stop the travel into the United States from China, then from Europe when it was discovered that because Italy has become so dependent upon Chinese workers and their garment industry that Italy got slammed by the COVID virus. President Trump immediately said, wait a moment, we're going to stop people from entering the United States from those countries because we don't want to flood America with people who are sick. It will overwhelm the resources. They were trying to, if you remember the expression, flatten the curve. And then you had Fauci, uh, don't wear masks, wear masks, wear masks, don't wear masks. Fauci's been in that position for decades. And the reason he's there, and and there's an analogy that comes to mind, he's kind of like the guy that goes to the racetrack, buys a ticket on every horse, and then, of course, one of those tickets has to win, and he holds up the ticket and says, look, I picked the winning horse. I'm a brilliant handicapper. What he doesn't tell you is he bought tickets for all the other horses in the same race. I'm brilliant. I picked the winner. That's what he does. He stands here and he stands there. He hopscotches. He's like a, a hot, you know, like a, um, a droplet of water on a hot griddle. He bounces from one place to the other. Follow the bouncing Fauci. And the president tried to follow him and follow him where? He was here, there, and everywhere. So eventually, the president said, look, besides that, we're going to start producing ventilators. Why these cities didn't take the money from counterterrorism, because counterterrorism, there's always the potential for biological or chemical weapons. I would argue that COVID was a chemical weapon or a biological weapon used against the world. I think that China purposely, once it was out there, said, hey, you know what? We can't get what we want at the negotiating table with the United States. Trump is the first guy to turn the screws on us, so we'll just let it go. So they wouldn't allow anyone leaving Hunan province to travel anywhere else in China, but if they wanted to get on an international flight and travel to Europe or the United States, they were helping them onto the airplanes with their suitcases. Don't tell me that they don't bear responsibility. So... The president immediately said, okay, what do you need? They said, we need ventilators. So he used the War Powers Act to get American companies to switch out their production lines to start manufacturing uh, ventilators. Think about that. Producing gloves and face masks and, 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 and other supplies that were needed to help the frontline workers. The federal government told these uh, governors You cannot put people in nursing homes because they're the most vulnerable unless you can test everybody and isolate and treat the people with COVID. Otherwise, don't put them back in the nursing homes. And that's why he provided the field hospitals. And that's why he provided them with these ships. And Cuomo said, no, we'll just move them back in. And he did. And then said, well, the federal government said, oh, this is okay. We're supposed to do it. Well, guess what's happening, boys and girls? The Justice Department is now conducting an investigation into what, what New York, New Jersey, and several other states did with the nursing homes. That was just announced yesterday. I'm trying to see if I could find the press release because it is very clear. Um, this might be it here. Hopefully it is. Nope, that wasn't it. Well, in any event, uh, I, I, I will find this, I promise you. But But the point of the matter is that there's going to be a day of reckoning. People were killed, and that's what is so unbelievable. The idea that so many people died. Yeah, here it is on Wednesday, August the 26th. 
just two days ago, the Justice Department issued a press release, Department of Justice requesting data from governors of states that issued COVID-19 orders that may have resulted in the deaths of the elderly nursing home residents. The subtitle, data will help inform whether the Department of Justice will initiate investigations under the Civil Rights of Institutionalized Persons Act, or CRIPA, regarding New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Michigan's response to COVID-19 in public nursing homes. Another day of reckoning coming, if this president is reelected. Why do you think the Democrats are panicking? And there's others panicking, because I don't doubt that some campaign fund could be traced back to foreign countries coming into their campaign coffers so that countries like China, like Russia, like Iran, could do what they wanted to do to America. What do they want to do to America? Weaken us and take us down. China is determined to rule the world. Look at their actions in the South China Sea, building up their military, building up their navy in particular. And if you follow, as I have been, the espionage cases involving China, which is almost on a daily basis, many of the spies are focused on not just airplanes but on ships because they are trying to claim illegally claim the South China Sea as their own um, personal sea. They built um, illegal artificial islands in the South China Sea and lied through their teeth. Oh, we're not going to militarize it. Of course, they've militarized it. So President Trump being President Trump, being a New Yorker, being a former construction guy. Uh, My dad was in the construction trades. These guys are tough. You don't mess with them. He sent not one but two aircraft carrier battle groups into the South China Sea, basically saying to China, no, you don't. No, you don't. This is the first time in decades that anyone has had the chutzpah to stand up to China. And Joe Biden's made it clear that he wouldn't continue these policies. Biden says, oh, we're going to bring manufacturing back. Really? It's already been done. The president doesn't have a strategy. I'm not a spokesman for President Trump. I don't always agree with him. But let's deal with the truth. Let's deal with facts. It's remarkable that these politicians are willing to lie when there's videotapes out there of what they said just months ago. I I, I used to watch this news program when I was back in high school. It was on Friday evenings, and the announcer would always begin the program by saying, history is the news that's worth remembering. I'll never forget that statement. History is the news that's worth remembering. Well, look at how the news is being twisted. They're trying to rewrite history even before the ink dries. The president wasn't the leader. The president didn't protect us because of Operation Warp Speed. For the first time, we're going to apparently have vaccines by the end of the year. Normally, it takes years to get a vaccine. This technology, by the way, will be applicable to other terrible diseases, including cancer, because um, I've lost family members to cancer. I'm a cancer survivor. And the immune system is increasingly being harnessed to combat cancer. This whole thing about a virus and about vaccines are about learning how the immune system works more effectively. So amazing medical progress being made with what really parallels a wartime effort. The president, and I think he's right, compared it to the Manhattan Project. But rather than being a weapon against people, it's a weapon against the deadly disease. What an amazing thing to do. But you're going to hear the law. Oh, he didn't do anything. He allowed people to die. I'll tell you where the people are dying. They're dying in the streets of our cities. They're dying in New York and Chicago. And we keep seeing these riots. And we keep hearing about systemic racism. 
And when you hear politicians talk about America being a racist country, they're really accusing you and me and, and your family and your neighbors of all being racists. That's what they mean by systemic racism. My family was decimated in the Holocaust because we're Jews. I was named for my mother's mother who was killed in Poland because she was Jewish and couldn't get out of Poland. Her family was wiped out because of our religion. Bigotry has no place in a civilized world. But you have politicians in the Democrat Party claiming, along with their allies in the mainstream lying, propagandized media, oh, this is systemic racism. And you see these videos of police officers shooting black people or the the Floyd case where the police officer had his neck on, on George Floyd. But here's what's interesting. I want you to think about this because I was thinking about this earlier today when I was doing my podcast with Dennis Michael Lynch. You know, if you go to Team DML, it's a subscription service. It's not free like my radio show, but I do videos for him every week, and there's other materials there. You may find it worthwhile. Check it out, but most definitely check out my article at Front Page Magazine. But this is what dawned on me today, and I, I gave it some thought now as I was getting ready to uh, to begin my program uh, here, um, the uh, Michael Cutler Hour this evening. When was the last time you saw a police officer shooting somebody who wasn't black in the media? More white men are killed by police than black men. Now, understand there are more whites than blacks in America, and so the argument is, and it's a reasonable argument, let's be fair and honest, let's, let's be objective. Per capita, blacks are more likely to be shot by police than whites. Of course, by, by no comparison whatsoever, I mean, the, the, the comparison goes out the window, blacks are far more likely to be killed by other blacks than they are by police, because we're talking about a handful of shootings involving the police, and, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shootings every month in our neighborhoods in the black community. But nobody wants to talk about that either. But, you know, let's be honest. But in terms of raw numbers, more whites are shot by police than blacks. When was the last time you saw a white person shot by a police officer on a video? I got to tell you, folks, I can't remember the last time I saw that. I can't remember the last time... I saw a white man shot by a police officer in America. Why is that? It's a disturbing question that can only have a disturbing answer. There is a concerted effort, in my view, to create a fake narrative that this is all about race. Nobody ever talks about how, well, maybe because we've fired up the black community and other minority communities to be fearful of the police, that when a police officer stops somebody, the guy that he stops, if he's a minority member, uh, reacts in a way that puts the cop on alert that his, his own safety is on the line. I was a federal agent for 30 years, and I can tell you that one of the most dangerous things you can do in law enforcement is to do a car stop. The car itself is a weapon. I had one guy try to run me over. I'll never forget it. He had two old women in the back of his cab. It was a taxi cab. He banged into me with the car and went roaring down the street. He traveled for about 10 miles with police in hot pursuit. One of the women fainted in the back of the car. The other woman, when they finally pulled him over, literally collapsed on the sidewalk. They thought she was having a heart attack. She was in her 80s. They both were. 
the guy was using that car as a weapon. We've taken weapons out of cars. There was a case where a machine gun was found in a car. A kidnapping had just happened. Maybe one day I'll tell you the story. It's fascinating. We were doing surveillance on a non-relating case. And in the middle of the surveillance, a kidnapping is carried out. And the police pull the car over. And the guy gets out of the car. They pull the guy out of the back seat. He's already in handcuffs. There's a submachine gun on the floor of the car. When you pull someone over, you're dipping your hook into a very deep ocean. On a cold stop like that, you don't even know what you're catching, and you don't know what that person may have or what the person's intentions might be. And family disputes, statistically, are the two most dangerous things that that police officers do. So when someone reacts to a police officer in a way that frightens the cop, He may react by pulling his weapon, which is what you're trained to do. And by the way, the training that I had was always about the horn blows, the light goes, whatever it is, the signal. How quickly can you draw and fire three rounds, four rounds, two rounds, at 20 yards, at 25 yards, at five yards? Speed and accuracy, speed and accuracy, speed and accuracy. There's no emphasis on maybe the gun isn't the solution. Now, we understand why we do that, because when you pull the gun, you better be accurate, you better be quick, because if you're accurate but not quick, you're going to be dead before you pull the trigger, so all of your accuracy won't matter. But, of course, if you fire off the first rounds but don't hit the guy and hit an innocent bystander, uh, you're dead and someone else is dead. So I get the point of speed and accuracy, but there needs to be more emphasis on whether or not to shoot. There are programs for that now in simulators, and I was in, I believe it was North Carolina, the sheriff ran me through the shoot-don't-shoot simulator. It was very realistic, and they were laughing because they said the grips on my gun were red hot because your emotions are flowing when you're doing this. You know, a guy jumps out of a car, shoot or don't shoot. And if you do shoot, it measures how accurately you shot. Interesting simulator. I don't know if all departments are using that. They should be. There are many things that need to be done, but these things are expensive. And defunding the police takes us in the exact opposite direction. Instead of saying, how do we do better? Because we need the police to keep America safe and keep Americans safe. The answer is defund the police. The Democrats who said, we're going to get the guns off the street. I want to get rid of the cops whose job it is to get the guns away from criminals. They took a lot of guns off the street. They were in the hands of murderers and drug dealers and people involved in terrorism. One guy was a suspected IRA terrorist, believe it or not. An Irishman. It's not about black or brown or purple or polka dots. It's about human beings who pose a threat to the well-being of our country and to innocent people. That's what my job was about. And every time we took a bad guy off the street, we went home at night thinking maybe we saved some lives. Maybe we prevented a rape. Maybe we prevented some murders or a robbery. Maybe we prevented a terror attack. My very first fraud case led me to uncover a terror plot in Israel, we were able to prevent the bombing of an oil refinery. Probably one of my proudest achievements, and that happened during my first year as an immigration agent, believe it or not. And this is what the Democrats are now opposing. Just stop and let the enormity of that statement sink in. ICE lodges a detainer, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. The guy's a rapist. He killed, he, he mugged, he shot people, he sold drugs, he set fire to... They turn the guy loose, and he goes out and kills more people. 
I want to see the sheriff or the mayor or whoever it was that made the decisions not honor the ICE detainer criminally prosecuted for their responsibility on turning that person loose. They know that people are going to die because of their actions and they don't care. And now all of a sudden the geniuses at CNN, boy, have they morphed from the days when, when it was Turner Broadcasting. When Lou Dobbs was there, I was on CNN generally sometimes twice a week. I remember one week I was on three times in one week. Not anymore. They've really become the communist news network. And they said, well, gee, you know, the Democrats better say something because the Americans are getting upset with, with, with the violence. But they won't call what's happening looting. I forgot the term that's used, but maybe they want to call it cashless buying, looting. For the longest time, they denied there was violence. Oh, there's no violence. Nothing to see here, folks. Keep moving. Well, much as they tried to cover it up, oops, it got out. Oops, it got out. Well, there's the videotape. We couldn't conceal it. What do we do? Maybe Biden ought to speak out against it. We're losing votes. Just stop and think about this. It's not the loss of life that is motivating Biden and the Republic and the Democrats to be willing to even mention that there's violence. It's the loss of votes, not the loss of life. Just stop. And I, I just stop. Just think about what I said to you. Let me repeat it so it sinks in. What scares the Democrats, <clears throat> what upsets the Democrats, apparently is not the loss of life, that little one-year-old who was shot at his stroller a couple of miles from my house, or the little girl that was asleep in the bed was shot through the window. They don't care. Collateral damage. What they're upset about isn't the loss of lives, but the loss of votes. Does it get worse than that? That's my question for you. Does it get worse than that? That votes matter and lives don't. Is this really what we want for our children, for our country, for the future of our nation, for our grandchildren? I'm going to use a a term that the the, the radical left loves, sustainable. This is not sustainable. And the real Trojan horse here is what Biden and the chameleon Harris wants to do with immigration. I'm going to keep mentioning it every time I do my program because I know that people don't always listen to all of my shows, so I'm going to keep saying it, because everybody in America needs to understand that even Trump doesn't get it. Even Trump doesn't get it. His people don't get it. Biden, and, they, and they use the clip of Biden saying, we're going to give legal status to a million folks, uh, 11 million folks, 11 million folks. That's what he calls them, folks. How folksy, 11 million folks. The number of illegal aliens in the United States has been pegged at about 11 million. It's been 11 million for 11 years. Never mind all the people who come here, whether by running the borders, stowing away on ships, or violating their visas. The numbers keep going up, but they always report on 11 million. Well, about a year ago, MIT, and I think it was Princeton, and several other liberal colleges said, no, it's probably 25 million, 24 million. I would argue it's well over 30 million. Well, imagine if we legalized 30 million aliens. Back in 2006, I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times because I had testified before a number of congressional hearings about amnesty programs. 
uh, George W. Bush's guest worker program. I called it the guest worker amnesty program, and that extra word stuck, guest worker amnesty. I had a private meeting with then-chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Sensenbrenner. I understand that uh, Chairman Sensenbrenner is not seeking re-election. Um, he's getting on in years. I hope his health is, is good. I, I think he's a good guy. Uh, I interacted with him and his staff constantly. It took me 90 seconds to convince him that giving millions of illegal aliens identity documents so they could work in the country was a horrific idea because there'd no, be no way of screening them, knowing who they are, when they got here, what their real names are, what their affiliations might be with terrorist groups. Now, remember, I started out talking about 9-11. Nineteen hijackers on 9-11 killed more people than we lost to the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. And there's really no shortage of workers. Pay a little bit more money and you'll get Americans to do any job. Americans are the hardest working people on the planet, you see. But what I told him that convinced him, I said, there's no way to screen them. How would you prevent Osama bin Laden? This was just a year or two after 9-11. How would you prevent Osama bin Laden, if his fingerprints aren't on file, from going in claiming that his name is Donald Duck? <clears throat> putting in contact lenses to change his apparent eye color, wearing shoes with lifts so he's two inches taller, getting a haircut, get out of his Fred Flintstone desert getup, we would be issuing within 48 hours an identity document to Osama bin Laden under the name Donald Duck that he could immediately use to get a driver's license, social security card, credit cards, um, get on board airplanes, have access to corporate and government office buildings. I told Sensenbrenner, maybe even your office right here in Washington, and he could then get a job, and even if it didn't involve national security, it might well involve critical infrastructure. I'm scared to death over who works in food processing plants, for example. And he immediately reacted, and within a week he withdrew his support. And when I wrote my op-ed for the Washington Times about this, Senator Jeff Sessions, then Senator Sessions, liked it so much he quoted me from the floor of the Senate and, get, and sent me a certificate to commemorate it. Because I called comprehensive immigration reform by a new name. I called it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act because of the inability we would have to interview all these people. Forget about doing field investigations. Well, recently I wrote an article where I said we really need to give it a second new name, comprehensive immigration reform. <clears throat> I said let's call it the Overwhelm America Act. Now, Joe Biden is, is just a pathological liar. And people say, well, he's such a nice guy, he's likable. And I'm going to say something terrible. I, I want to believe he's a nice guy. I really do. And he's been through some horrific tragedies, losing his wife and daughter and now his son. It grieves me. Um, I lost my own parents within a year of each other to cancer. As an only child, I was going to school working and caring for both of them. My dad died when I was 19. I literally carried him off his job his last day at work. He was a construction worker. He worked to his last possible day to support me and my mom. What a hero. What a hero. <clears throat> my mother was already dying of breast cancer, and I buried her when I was 21 and she was 54. And then I lost my first wife to cancer when she was 33. Our son was 22 months old. So, unfortunately, on some level, I, I, I relate to these sorts of tragedies, but I will never tell someone I know what you're going through when they suffer a loss because we all experience losses differently and no two relationships are the same. It's infuriating when people say I know what you're going through. 
the heck you do. The heck you do. But I, I, I truly grieve for Biden's losses. I, I can't imagine experiencing what he experienced. But con artists are always likable. In order to swindle you, they have to have charm. They have to have a big smile. And yet people are stupid. How many times do you see where some guy gets arrested for, for killing eight people and a neighbor comes out and says, oh, my God, it can't be. He had such a nice smile. Hey, folks, this isn't a toothpaste commercial. Pathological people are able to get their way with people. They charm them to death, literally. Big smile, soft voice. They don't look like monsters. If they did, you'd run for your life. That's what makes them dangerous because they're charming and they seem so nice and they take your money. I am sure that Madoff was a charmer. That's how he got wealthy, successful people to give him their life savings. Do you think he went in there and acted like a monster? Of course not. People would have looked at him and said, get this guy away from me. He had to go in there and charm them to death and bankrupt them. So when I hear this nonsense, he's likable. I'm sure Madoff was likable also. Joe Biden lies and plagiarizes and lies and misstates facts, claims that he had three degrees when he had one degree, graduated the top of the class when he graduated in the bottom of the class. It goes on forever. It's a pattern of pathological lying. And he said, well, we're going to get you new jobs, more jobs. We're going to build up the job. How in the world do you plan to build up the jobs? And I can prove to you right here and right now, listen carefully, how I can prove to you beyond any doubt you're going to get done listening to me and you're going to say Biden's a total, complete, flipping liar. You're going to know it immediately. I'm going to prove it to you right now. You can't argue against what I'm about to say to you. No way you could argue against me. If Joe Biden gets his way, and there were Democrats that want this too, Bob Goodlatte, the former chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, a Republican, wanted to give Millions of illegal aliens, lawful status. Why? Because he's an immigration lawyer. The immigration system, I keep making the point, isn't broken. It's a delivery system. And as a delivery system, it is more efficient than FedEx and UPS combined. Forget about the arguments about the post office. The immigration system is the number one most efficient, highest speed delivery service ever created by the human species on this planet. It delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor, I promise you. There's no compassion to be found in exploitation. An unlimited supply of foreign tourists, because that's what the Chamber of Commerce wants, the Chamber of Horrors, as I call them. How do I know? Because we keep expanding the visa waiver program. Even Donald Trump made Poland number 39. We had 26 visa waiver countries on 9-11. There should be zero after what the 9-11 Commission warned about visa fraud. But under Obama, we got a whole bunch of them. And then under Bush, we got more of them. You wonder why Jeb Bush said that illegal immigration was an act of love? I wrote a piece where I said that Jeb was looking for love at all the wrong places. And even now, Donald Trump last year added Poland to the list. We're up to 39. It should be zero. So it delivers an unlimited supply of foreign cheap labor, foreign, foreign uh, tourists, foreign students. We've even been educating spies, as we saw with China and Russia and Iran. And here's the kicker, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, an unlimited supply of clients to immigration law firms. It's not about getting these people out of the shadows. They didn't want to hire a single additional agent to do that. 
It's about getting them into the waiting rooms of law firms and to make sure that the lawyers got paid. Comprehensive immigration reform would have provided free lawyers for illegal aliens. So think about that. Why would you give them free lawyers? You don't get a free lawyer when you have to file a tax return. Lawful immigrants don't get free lawyers. But if you're an illegal alien, you get it for free. Why? Lawyers hate to work for nothing. They want to make sure they get paid. How better to make sure that they get paid than to have Uncle Sam pay the fee? Billable hours. It's all what it's about. And you have lawyers on both sides of the political aisle. Okay? So understand the problem. So. Joe Biden has said, we're going to, and Chameleon Harris has said, free health care for illegal aliens. That would turn America into the emergency room for the world. If you can't get treated in your own country, and who, be, who treats people better than the United States, come to America. So you will be enticing aliens with dangerous communicable diseases, which is the first ground for exclusion in the immigration law. Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, aliens with dangerous communicable diseases or severe mental illness. We're going to give you free health care. So you have, I don't know, leprosy, name some horrible disease. You can't get treated in your home country in Asia, Africa, Europe, South America, wherever. Come to America, and you won't have to pay for anything. Boom, you've just fired the starter's pistol, right? Free education. Wow, that's fabulous. By the way, and we may disagree, but I think that American kids who want to take up a course of study in a profession where we need workers should get free education if their families can't afford it. We allow people to join the military. They get flight training. We spend over a million dollars per pilot. They get the best flight training in the world. And after they do a hitch of six, seven, eight years, whatever the the terms of of it is, uh, they're then free to leave the military, become airline pilots, start their own business, use the skills they acquire in the military. If we're willing to do it for pilots, why not do it for surgeons and biochemists and computer programmers and engineers? But you should have to be an American citizen, not even a lawful immigrant. You're either a citizen of the United States or you're not. And if you're an American citizen and you are living below a certain income level, we should be providing free education, provided it's within an area where we need the workers and where you have to maintain a grade point average. It's good for America. It's good for these children to get them out of poverty. But that's not what the Democrats want. I wrote an article a while back that said that in order for the Democrats to succeed, Americans must fail. You push people to the left when you make it impossible for them to support themselves. So they offer them the handouts and they have no choice. I can't pay my rent. I can't pay for electricity. I can't put food on the table. And there's the Democrats offering you money. It's like the drug dealer offering free samples in the schoolyard to the kids getting out of school. Once they get them hooked, they own them forever. Okay? So now, how many people are we really talking about? You're really talking about over 100 million children coming to America. Where do they get the number from? If, let's say, 30 million illegal aliens get lawful status, they will immediately have an absolute right to bring each and every one of their minor children to America legally, overnight. And, and frankly, I agree with it. If you're going to give someone a green card, they're entitled to live with their children and with their spouse. We've always done that, and, and that's something we should do. It's easy to, to, to think of it this way. 
Anybody who could be on your health insurance should be able to get a green card if you move to the United States legally. If you legalize people, then now here legally they should have the right to have their children with them. That's why we shouldn't be legalizing illegal aliens when, number one, we can't vet them. That's a national security and a public safety threat. And we saw what happened with 9-11. We saw what happened with the Boston Marathon. We saw what happened in other terror attacks. We saw it happen in San Bernardino. We've seen it happen across the country. Aliens gaming the immigration system involved with terrorism, killing Americans. So we shouldn't be doing it. But if you're going to do it, then we're not talking about 11 million. We're not even talking about 30 million. You're looking at an influx of perhaps 100 million because third world families typically have many children, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12 kids, not unusual, especially in some cultures where men will have children with multiple women. They're all his kids. And think about how much fraud you're going to have to wade your way through. So if on average, each of the 30 million who might apply, and it might be 40 million, but we'll say 30, I'm going to be an optimist. And if they only have between three and four kids each, those legalized aliens within a year or two will bring in 100 million children immediately enrolling them in our schools, which are having enough trouble right now. Where do we go with that? The Congressional Budget Office did a study back in 2006 and found that it costs 20 to 40 percent more to educate children who can't speak, read, or write English. Okay. What do we do if we suddenly have 100 million kids? And by the way, they don't stay children for long. They age out. They become part of the labor force. So there's Joe Biden saying, I'm going to get you jobs and the money is going to be great and we're going to increase your salary. What about the 100 million new workers that you want to bring to America, Joe Biden? 100 million. You heard that number. Maybe more. Maybe 120 million, Joe Biden. And they're all going to be looking for work. What will that do to suppression of wages what will that do to the cost of housing you have more people seeking housing it will jack the price of housing through the roof you will have more homelessness and with no law enforcement america will become a third world country in a matter of a couple of years this could play out within two or three years we're not talking 28 years from now no if they enact comprehensive immigration reform within two to three years, we could have an influx of 100 million or more foreign children from all over the world. It's not about race, folks. It's about what we're capable of dealing with. When you get to the airport, you have to have a ticket to get on the airplane. Why? Well, they want to make sure that you're not on the no-fly list. It's about safety. And there's only a certain number of seats on the damn airplane. When you go into a restaurant or you go into a bowling alley, you go into a bar, there's always a sign hanging in the front of the place that says occupancy by more than fill in the number unlawful by order of the fire commissioner. They go in, they do a study, how big is the place, how many exits are there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How quickly can we evacuate this place if there's a fire? It's a safety issue. If you're going to prepare a list, an invitation list for, for, for your child's wedding or, or a Thanksgiving dinner or an Easter dinner or a Passover dinner. You come up with a bunch of names, and then you say, well, we can't invite all these people. We have only so many place settings. Start out with 30 names, and by the time you're done, you're down to 12 names. Did you hate the people you left off the list, or did you simply say, well, 
we haven't seen them in a while. They're, they're out of town. Let's stick to the people that are closer in, whatever, because we have finite resources, finite resources. We don't have an unlimited budget. Uh, how many people can you feed if you have enough money to buy three pizza pies? You can't have 100 people come to your house for pizza if you have enough money for three pies. I mean, this is common sense that the mainstream media, with their lies, with their deceptive reporting, with their propaganda, oh, he's a hater. No, I'm a realist. I'm a realist. You can only invite so many people to dinner. You can only invite so many people to your daughter's wedding. And America can only invite so many people to the United States. And by the way, we have the most generous immigration policies of any country on the planet. We admit more than a million lawful immigrants each and every year. They're on the path to citizenship. They're given green cards. A million a year. Because the same immigration laws that tell us who to keep out and who to kick out based on public safety, public health, national security, and jobs of Americans also tells us who to admit. And we admit more than a million permanent resident aliens every year. But you don't hear that from the media. Just like you don't see shootings involving white people being shot by cops because some white guy did something stupid or perhaps the cop did something wrong. And police officers are held accountable. But, you know, when you look at these cities that are so overwhelmed, very often you hear that more than half of all homicides go unsolved. Talk about getting away with murder. And if you defund the police, more homicides will go unsolved. But the politicians know this. They don't care. The only reason you're hearing any words of concern now from the Democrat Party isn't because of the loss of life, but the potential loss of votes. Is that how a government, in the view of Abraham Lincoln, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, should be conducting itself? During one of my very first hearings after 9-11, when I went before the United States Congress, and I believe it was before either the House Judiciary Committee or the House Subcommittee on Immigration, I said most sensible people live their lives by the simple phrase, safety first. What safety do we have in cities that are being violently attacked? Where's the safety? How could you vote for someone who doesn't care if you live or die? if your children live or die. This is a fundamental issue, and it transcends all other concerns that we must have. Safety first. Please go to Front Page Magazine. Check out my article, Radical Democrats Have Become the Adversaries of Freedom. You will find John F. Kennedy's speech fascinating, a look back in time that really – you almost had the sense that he had a crystal ball to see where we are today here in these United States of America. Please, folks, get involved. Have these conversations with your neighbors. Share my articles with them. Share a link to this podcast with them. I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. I uh, look forward to seeing you again. Uh, I hope you will check Team DML, by the way, dmlnews.com. But certainly I look forward to joining you again next week next Friday night right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay well. Stay safe.